Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays for the weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It feels like we never left <laughs> this uh, very hectic week. One long conversation, it seems, this exactly. always is. Uh, is the ceasefire holding? So far, it's holding. And um, they, we've seen now all the celebrations in Gaza at the Naharabayit, not by Jews, and many other places, and certainly a sense of relief as all the restrictions have been lifted in Israel. Uh, The schools in the south are still not open, I think, but the other schools are. Uh, But, you know, everybody claims victory and needs to do so for their own political purposes, their own psychological purposes of the people, that all of this wasn't in ways... But you see how broad-scale the devastation that Israel was able to to achieve of military targets, primarily, and to uh, certainly set back uh, Hamas. And the question is, will the people take advantage of it? Will Hamas emerge politically stronger as having, you know, been able to take on Israel? Will it translate into political in the political realm how will the uh, Abbas now look especially after postponing the election uh, will pressures build now to have elections and Hamas would probably emerge even stronger so there'll be greater reluctance uh, to have an election and what will happen with Netanyahu how will this affect his political fortunes is there a, yeah, I'm sorry is there a way to quantify I mean I'm not looking for stats but we we are being told by the administration in Israel that this was a much more devastating blow to Hamas than, for instance, any of the previous operations were. I think specifically they they were probably referring to 2014. Is there a way to quantify or describe the type of of damage that was done to the uh, Hamas operation? I know the tunnels was significant in terms of taking out a lot of those, uh, but but you know there was no real ground attack, despite what you might hear or read. There was no real ground invasion, which we have seen in the past, and often we think, or the armchair military people think, that that's the only way to really accomplish a lot. How would you evaluate what they did this time? Well, they clearly had uh, excellent intelligence. They took out individual homes of the leaders. They took out um, operational headquarters, You know, sometimes taking out a room or an apartment in a building. They uh, and despite the reports and the try to to exaggerate the uh, what um, how Israel um, killed civilians. I mean, this is it's untrue. Uh, Seven hundred rockets, at least, maybe more of the more than four thousand that were fired landed in Gaza itself, and they had to admit killed that family of eight that everybody was blaming Israel. Turned out that they were killed by errant Gazan fire. That. they still retained the capacity to do it, and that's why they saved rockets always for the last hours before a ceasefire to be able to show that they, you know, they walk out standing. But the fact is that the infrastructure, uh, as you cite, the the tremendous underground, you know, uh, capacity in tunnels. There are two types of tunnels that were hit: the tunnels that crossed to Israel. They blew up one, which. A number of terrorists were, were located, and then the the more importantly the the tunnel network under Gaza, miles and miles of it were destroyed, 
And whether terrorists inside were, were killed or not, we don't know. And I'm, I'm sure the Gaza, Hamas is not going to let us know because they don't want to tell how many people they really lost for their, uh, for their internal purposes. Uh, the fact that they hit these Navy inst- installations, including ones where they were launching uh, remote-controlled uh, underwater drones, that were aiming to attack the um, gas rigs off of the coast of Israel and other locations. The uh, fact they didn't have any cross-border border raids, as you had sometimes in the past. And remember, it, it lasted 50 days before, and this right. is much shorter, but far more intense. And I know a lot of people uh, have a sigh of relief that they didn't have to or didn't cross into uh, Gaza, but... Many of the experts say that you really can't, you know, um, assure that they can't just fire again if you're not in control of the territory and being able to go door to door, house to house, where they know these things are located. Uh, so everything will be subject to a lot of speculation, and people shouldn't get caught up in every detail debating for and against. Overall, um, the, the, the they limited the amount of deaths, and the, despite. 4,000 rockets, the fact that Iron Dome did such an amazing job hitting 90%. There will be a lot of questions that will be asked in a lot of um, armchair generals, but also within the government of Israel, there will be a lot of questions that will have to be answered. Yeah, that's for sure. Why does it seem the arsenal that the enemy had this time was much larger than last time? Uh, the number of rockets, I mean, I don't have the stats in front of me, but the impression is that it was much more of a barrage in a shorter period of time than, than in 2014. Uh, were they, in fact, better equipped? Were they, in fact, I don't know, building up for seven years for this moment? They clearly were, and uh, they received a lot of equipment from Iran. These were Iranian missiles, basically, uh, some of them very crude. All of the reports including my own, about the importation of precision guidance systems from Iran, which they, they got. Uh, we know in Lebanon they, they've fixed many in, in, in Gaza, uh, and they were given the ability to manufacture their own. Uh, did not seem to make a difference because the, the rocket fire seems to be uh, largely indiscriminate, just targeting an area and firing. Uh, they didn't have the ability to hit very specific targets. As was expected, uh, they did show a bigger range. The fact that they hit Yerushalayim is, to me, still astonishing and, uh, you know, something they boast about. But it's a high-risk maneuver, and, the, 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 you know, there will be big demonstrations, I'm sure, today, because it's Friday at Al-Aqsa, and, you know, declaring their victory. So th- there's a lot of things that they have to come to terms with. The, so the ability, I think, was greater in many respects, and the um, infrastructure was certainly much better, and that they had prepared uh, this, these abilities to withstand what they know would be Israel's um, response to, to their aggression. What I think is also uh, an issue that we'll be wrestling with for a long time is the internal situation in Israel, especially relationship with Israeli Arabs who joined in some of the neo-pogroms, especially in Lud and Haifa, other areas. Uh, I've spoken to many people who who said that they, you know, every Friday would go shopping in Arab markets and other Arab areas and say they can't do it now. 
and uh, and then lastly about the ramifications here with some of the incidents that that we saw yesterday and in the days before the uh, anti-semitic attacks the uh, wandering gangs that would take place in, in incidents in miami la new york and all over the country uh, these are all things that we have to assess and and most of all how the internet was used to spread blatantly anti-semitic anti-israel messages uh, hate messages that were tolerated then when other people are knocked off these uh, platforms and how we can be more effective in getting the message out getting the truth out we always assume people will see that it's obvious that the story about Sheikh Jarrah the story about what was going on in Hamas, that this was politically motivated that this had a lot of other agendas for the Palestinians especially after Abbas you know canceled the election that you know, people, we see see that people are not being affected and more and more carry the message that you have this small group in Congress who are willing to, to take hostile positions in Israel, introducing resolutions to, to, to uh, condition aid or withhold aid. And these are all uh, issues that we, just as Israel, have to wrestle with. Yeah, and we... And we got to get back to that issue uh, in a minute in terms of what's going on in Washington because it's outrageous what's happening in Washington. But what might be more outrageous, though, is that, as you as you indicated, uh, there, there's now, you know, copycat uh, encounters that are going on. Uh, the world saw what was happening in Lod and Haifa and uh, how, uh, quote-unquote, Arab-Jewish neighborhoods were, um, you know, being uh, set on fire by the enemy uh, or those who, until that point, you know, were not identified as enemy and now are. Uh, and we, we see the damage that was done and the lives that were lost. Uh, and then, of course, it's replicated here, um, number one, because uh, I guess they feel that uh, you know they, they, they had a good role model, a good example, based on what they saw in the Middle East, so places like Miami and New York and uh, California, as you mentioned, others, you know, their random attacks on Jews of all varieties, by the way, between the smoke bombs and the, and the projectile throwing and the, uh, um, you know, and all the different ways that... Um, uh, that people um, uh, uh, demonstrate their uh, anger uh, at Jews because we, of course, have the nerve to be Jews and lovers of Israel. Uh, but anyway, but but what might be most outrageous, frankly, is that all this is going on here in the United States and all these videos are going around and there's nobody. There's nobody in Jewish leadership saying a word. Nobody's saying anything. There is not one major Jewish organization. I don't think there's a major synagogue in this country who, whose rabbinic leadership has has gotten up and expressed how outrageous this is. We're talking about the center of Manhattan. We're talking about New York City. We're talking about an identifi- identifiably pretty Jewish city with a really identifiably you know Jewish block in the Diamond District. And this goes on, and forget about the fact that the cops aren't arresting people that need to be arrested, but nobody's saying a word. It's outrageous. It is outrageous to me that there is no one who is getting up and proclaiming that there has to be some type of accountability from the police department or government officials for the fact that people are randomly being attacked in their streets. So, first of all, in terms of the events of yesterday, we had till the middle of the night, I participated in consultations and things, and there will be plenty of statements, calls on the cops to, to explain their behavior or, or lack of uh, uh, activity, not just yesterday, but uh, in, in other parts of the country, too. We saw the same pattern. So first of all, to understand, I think there are a number of factors 
this is my own speculation about the impact of last summer's riots and demonstrations that people felt they can get away with it, that there's a new climate. The fact that, you know, you have this no bail or the quote bail reform that people have no fear of getting arrested, that they will ride around in the cars with their license plates visible and uh, police keep saying to people go home or just go back and and did not arrest and in one case we saw they arrested one of the the Jewish uh, people who was assaulted uh and and there been there were phys- there was physical violence against people that uh, were hospitalized as a result of yesterday's event so you will see plenty of statements and uh, you remember it happened late yesterday and people didn't have a chance even to get the facts on what really occurred. And, and often there are so many different accounts, you know, that there was a bomb thrown, that it was a firecracker thrown, that it was a, a smoke bomb thrown, uh, that, um, and thank God nobody seems to be seriously uh, hurt. But they, we have to be much more vocal. There has to be and there are plans uh, for some sort of manifestation um, in response to this. We have to give the police chance to, to clarify what the, what the orders were. And But if we don't, aren't consistent, if our elected officials and city council and state city government don't start, don't demand it, uh, I don't count on much from city hall, but I, I do, I think the police are... Um, you know, should not be judged before we have a chance to really get to the facts. But the the outrageous behavior, the fact that they they drove around and literally uh, vigilante style, uh, is is very concerning and and upsetting. And the uh, fact that it it spread in so many different places uh, tells you it's it's part of the reflection of the internet. It's part of what. The squad and others have have poisoned the the, um, the the atmosphere, and that everything goes. and And this is really uh, of concern. There was a to time everybody individually and collectively. This is not. This is it's complex. There are a lot of factors that go into this, but there has to be a sense of outrage, and there has to be a message, and there has to be on the part of every community talking to their elected officials, demanding answers and responses, and and as well from the communal organization. There was a time when the mayor of the city of New York and the governor of the state of New York and the Senate majority leader who's from New York would have gotten up and and said last night, maybe even in the middle of the night, how outrageous this is and how they're going to make an effort and step up the efforts to protect all citizens, whether it's Jews or Asians or whoever's being targeted, and none of that happened. And in California, the same thing. We're talking about, you know, uh, we're talking about an area that is so identifiably Jewish and local officials all the way up to the mayor and governor usually or in the past would be out there on the streets making statements and rallying people to, you know, to, to make the neighborhood as safe as possible. Now, you're right. You're right that this whole summer that we went through was the precursor to all of this because they they basically showed everybody you can run rampant in the streets and do whatever you want and loot everywhere you want and nothing's going to happen to you that whole attitude is, is prevailing now and unfortunately a lot of jews are you know on the receiving end of all of this but there has to be i mean the fact that you know i gotta tell even, even in terms of support for israel rallies 
the fact that every one of these is a grassroots rally, that, that synagogues and organizations, we just read off a whole bunch before, synagogues and organizations at a moment's notice decide on Thursday night or Friday morning they have to take to the streets on Sunday just to express themselves regarding support for Israel and support for you know people around the world who are being attacked because of Israel tells us something about the organized Jewish community. There's nobody, there's nobody, forget the government officials, there's nobody in a leadership role in the American Jewish establishment that is getting up and saying anything. And I'm talking about groups that traditionally are the ones that did take to the streets and the ones that did not accept any of this outrageous behavior against Jews. So you raised several issues. One is about statements. It's not correct. There were hundreds of statements and declarations by organizations on a local and national level. The problem is the media will not cover pro-Israel statements. You can't get it on anywhere, even on the Internet, except for people posting things on their own sites. It gets no pickup. And I'm telling you, there were hundreds, maybe thousands of statements issued by Jewish organizations, by leaders, by individuals, by, you know, uh, collective statements. Um, and unfortunately, that there is a silence from our elected officials, uh, with the exception, and I, sh- I have to name him, Richie Torres, who's been a hero and, and amazing. And uh, Josh Gottheimer was uh, very strong, but so many others. When Menendez, the chairman of the Foreign Relations Committee, comes out with a critical statement, somebody who has been so tied to community and in such an influential position, and others who represent heavily Jewish districts, don't make statements or flirt with signing on to some of the anti-Israel measures. You don't know how much effort goes in to make sure that it doesn't happen and and that it uh, and to counter it. And without having public confrontation, because that forces people into public postures that you can't back off of. You try to prevent, and, and to a great degree, that was successful. But the the in terms of statements as to uh, public demonstrations, I completely concur. And, um, I mean, there were reasons why, you know, from COVID to um, having online Zoom rallies all over the country, but they don't mean anything. There's no no impact uh, as there is when you have people who are willing to take to the streets, who are willing to manifest their their, um, outrage. I think it's not because there's a lack of concern in the community, although amongst a lot of the younger people, we see it, the fact that you have Jews in in Congress and elsewhere signing on to some of these really hostile statements and groups like J Street and others leading efforts to to count, to promote an anti-Israel agenda, whereas uh, the efforts to promote the Jewish pro-Israel agenda doesn't get any notice because it's, you know, it's man bites, it's dog bites man versus man bites dog. And you have to also look at this, the, the, the nature of the media coverage, uh, both in real media, but also on the Internet. But we saw people talking about Israeli aggression, the, the, the whole distortion, misrepresentation, with the exception of a number of the stations that became very blatantly in New York, uh, I know ABC and OR and all those were, were, much, were balanced and favorable in their coverage. But you see in national public radio and all these, and I'm naming them because people have to make their voices heard. These are supported by the public to to counter it and to ask their congressmen, where were you? What have you done? What did you speak out? And if you belong to a Jewish organization, ask them and let them tell you what they did to stand up. Much, much more was done, believe me, than is known or could be it would, it would be made public by the media. 
And where we did uh, expose weakness again was on the Internet, that we don't have the ability to counter what is often state-sponsored uh, anti-Semitism and anti-Israel activities on the, in the media, in the um, Internet, and on the various platforms and the discriminatory policies but that even, the companies but, followed. But even before we get to the Internet, I mean, those members of the House and U.S. senators that represent Jewish areas and have in the past been out there, at least when, when Israel's under attack. They're not always out there in regular situations, but at least when Israel's under attack and when Jews are under attack on the streets of New York, that they are completely silent is unbelievable. And by the way, I for, and, and, and I know you're saying we should contact them and express our outrage at that, and I agree with that, obviously. But what does it say about the direction of Jews in the United States of America? What does it say about our future? You know, if we don't stand up, if we don't do something to show to show those who are Jew haters, and remember, it's all you know cloaked in anti-Zionism and anti-Israel, right? Essentially, they're Jew haters. If we don't do something, then all these predictions about what's going to happen, in, you know, to this country, to Jews in this country, it's going to happen a lot sooner than we thought. Anyway, I'm no, no, it's not anyway. It's very important, and anybody who's intelligent and isn't thinking of uh, the ramifications of this. I talked about the ramifications in Israel. I think the messages here are are very clear. And again, we have to note that this is, these are small groups uh, of vigilantes that, that the wider view of uh, the wider participation community didn't take place. They didn't have thousands of people, you know, going to streets like you had with BLM. Uh, and uh, other times during the summer, so there's a capacity to mobilize. And when you have public officials uh, engaging in the kind of rhetoric that we heard from the squad and others, um, and you know, while they only got 38 members or, to sign on to certain things and, and, and very limited numbers joining the hostile thing, it's an erosionary process. It keeps saying that now this is acceptable and that's acceptable. Challenge Israel's the right to defend itself, to, to, to deny, to, to want to quantify, uh, qualify and condition the aid to Israel. These are very serious ramifications. And, and frankly, after not sleeping for, for the last 10 days, in large part, not just because of concern about what's happening to the security of Jews in Israel and uh, what they face, but Israel has an army, and Israel stands up to it. Uh, my question is what capacity we have to develop here in order to now there are meetings of the security officials of the communities and they've you know there were a lot of steps taken communities were more aware i think shomrim and all these groups do do good work and and deserve credit we have to expand our capacity and our willingness to stand up the fact what happened on 47th street was replicated in other places and you know there has to be a sense of outrage the congress this week approved 200 and i don't know 40 million dollars because uh, to deal with the asian uh, the tax on asian americans and but there should be some similar measure although there is money going to synagogues and in very large amounts to, for their protection and i hope they're spending it on it um but there isn't this sense of, of a need for this kind of mobilization that we saw to counter the hatred, the outrageous hatred acts against Asian Americans and the Pacific Islanders. So I think that, again, it's too early now to, to, to draw conclusions. We have to assess all of this. We have to learn the lessons and implement them. Implement them. And 
and that means on the, the local community neighborhood level of being able to send alerts, of being able to uh, mobilize and to make sure, meeting with police officials and saying, what, what, what came down? What happened? How could this go on? How could your police officers not arrest people? You, could, you saw them. You saw the, the attacks, and, 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 and there doesn't have seem to be, unless they're planning long-term you know, actions, longer term when things are cooler and they can just arrest individuals without starting confrontations in the streets. So there may be answers, but I don't know them. Um, what did you think of President Biden's statements when he visited Congresswoman Tlaib in Michigan? Look, I think overall, I have to say that the, uh, that President Biden held the line against a lot of forces in his own party, and and you know voices raised against him about uh, and cutting aid, and and he spoke to Netanyahu half a dozen times or more, uh, and did not take any actions or call for Israel to stop earlier. He said, you know, to develop it, and gave them the time. I think that Netanyahu needed or felt they needed to um, to do whatever um, uh, efforts to, to diminish and to degrade Hamas's capacities. Because we're not eliminating Hamas's capacity unless we eliminate Hamas. And uh, regrettably, they didn't get Mohammed Deif, and uh, I guess we'll know more, but they got rid of a lot of the commanders and many others. So, And, and you, the president said yesterday that they would assure the resupply of Iron Dome missiles for Israel for its future protection. So I, I think that we have to look at this in a balanced way. What he said to Tlaib, I think, was just uh, a response to the pressure of the moment. And he, he does respond to the pressures. It's within his own party. You have it's not just him, Bernie Sanders, many others. Uh, as I said, that the you see the influence of the extremists in the party, and we have to make sure to try to uh, work with the party to, to limit them and to elect people who don't represent those kind of views. Um, I think it's somewhat silly when people forget the the rockets that did fall during the Trump administration from Gaza to Israel. It's not like there weren't uh, attacks at that time. Maybe not a full full out war or you know operation that we've seen this time. But I'm asking it in the context of there are people who are who are saying that um, because of the money that President Biden, unlike President Trump, committed to the PA or actually delivered to the PA already. I have no idea. I don't know where, if this money is actually, you know, there yet, close to a billion dollars. Uh, that, that, was the, that that was the money that was able to fund this operation. Is that the, a ridiculous speculation? Uh, it's just not true. They didn't transfer the money. And um, there was money that was held up by the Trump administration. That goes for specific projects, and money is always fungible. Uh, I think, you know, we should be using our, our leverage. But, you know, the money that came into Gaza, for instance, came from Qatar, came from Iran. But the Israeli intelligence and others authorized the transfer of those funds in order to keep quiet, to, to pay the salaries, to keep the, the area from exploding. And there are a lot of people now who are questioning the, the wisdom of that policy. And we'll have to see in the future how that uh, plays out what uh, who's allowed to come in there and put in money. Turkey is going to rush in also, along with Iran, to to do re- rebuilding. But as long as Iran doesn't get the sanctions removed, they don't have that capacity that they once had to provide huge amounts of money. Um, Iran, Turkey has been stepping into that void. I've been reporting it all along and talking about the inflow of money to to Gaza. 
but look at the, the people themselves. They have nothing. They they live off of foreign uh, uh, handouts. The Gulf countries have stopped funding uh, Hamas because of of their own purposes, with the exception of uh, of Qatar, uh, maybe others uh, as well. Uh, but you know, the, if if Hamas is able to declare a victory, this undermines the government of Egypt. The governments of the UAE, of Saudi Arabia, everybody, Houthis, the Yemen, uh, Libya, every country that faces uh, Islamist uh, terrorist insurgents, and uh, whether it's ISIS or or Hamas or Hezbollah, they will all be in increased danger because of it. Mm. So if, until the international community really stands up and the Europeans, you know, uh, kick themselves in the butt and, and, and start realizing that they may have given away Europe. Now they want to give away the rest of the world. They want to endanger uh, everyone else. And there were countries that, that did things. You know, the Secretary General of the Organization of American States, uh, the Secretariat, undertook, and they declared this week Hezbollah uh, Hamas a terrorist organization. Hmm. A courageous move. And now several countries, Argentina, Bolivia, um, Venezuela, of course, uh, um, and Antigua yesterday, uh, disassociated from that declaration. But Austria did the same. And you know that the Austrians flew the flag of Israel on the government building. Um, the Czech Republic, a number of countries really took brave stands. Um, the Bulgarians and Romanians in the EU, uh, and, uh, Croatia, I think others that did take really strong stands, pro-Israel stands. And if you look, the Abraham Accord countries did the pro forma things, but they, they didn't sever it. They didn't, nobody withdrew their ambassadors. Um, they, uh, you know, th- they understand that this is a battle being fought for them. And I can tell you that Arab leaders always just tell me, tell Israel, decimate them, decimate them. They can't converge from this standing. We're always disappointed that Israel wouldn't, uh, you know, just carpet bomb and, and take the more dramatic actions because it, it's them. It's everybody, the region and, and Turkey and Iran can't be able to now boast that it has a victory in, in Turkey and these are the forces that are trying not only for their own hegemonic goals, but to undermine and destroy a Jewish state and, and any government that doesn't agree with their Islamist radical ideologies from the Shiite or the Sunni side. Uh, so, you know, these things, this uh, has much broader ramifications than the fight over uh, over Gaza and the firing of rockets and and what other country would have tolerated? And we asked the governments, nobody has an answer. What would you do yep. if 4,000 rockets, think of that, were fired at a country, a democracy that, that didn't instigate this, didn't want this? It's outrageous. And then they create these false narratives and how quickly people buy into it, yep. including many in the Jewish community. Yeah, because they want to. They, they, they would rather do everything in their power to condemn Israel and make sure that... Uh, uh, that Israel's being condemned by others. On that subject, by the way, Black Lives Matter threw its full support behind the Palestinians, standing in solidarity with them, according to their official Twitter declaration. Uh, I think that a lot of people in the Jewish community, especially those who made sure to take to the streets uh, during the summer of uh, of 2020, uh, I, think, I think people in the Jewish community really have to evaluate uh, whether they are going to align with the BLM BDSers, and by the way, it's one and the same because BDS, the BDS movement essentially uh, praised BLM for the statement they came out with. 
Uh, so they're both pro-Palestinian, they're both anti-Israel, and they're both anti-Semitic, frankly. But I think people in our community need to make an evaluation about whether they're going to be standing with the official uh, BLM organization or if they're going to uh, uh, use their power and use their, uh, and use their energy uh, to support Israel and the Zionist movement. And this is not even pro-Palestinian. This is pro-terrorism. Yep. That that we should make distinction. You know, people can have sympathy with anybody in the world, any group in the world. I understand it, um, but they got it. First of all, they have to have the facts. They have to know who's yeah. responsible in, for the in, suffering of them. Including, but this is including not, the taking ki- a stand with a terrorist entity, right. with people who indiscriminately kill civilians. You can even sympathize for the kids in Gaza, but just understand who's putting them in danger and who's that's right. And exactly, exactly. I mean, who who on earth wants to see children die, especially in these circumstances? But, I mean, you have to understand what the context is here. Can't and then the pride of their parents that they were martyred for this tells you, you know, that the and, and putting their own kids in harm's way. Uh, although many of them don't have any say in this and they're right, this is, you know, that they, they don't want to see the missile launchers next to their schools and in the hospitals, all these places. So it's a double war crime. Yeah. And yet, you see, during this week, the Organization Against Racial Discrimination in, in, in the U.N. Is, is taking on Israel on apartheid charges. You see the term being used in, in media broadcasts and stuff where, where just these outrageous charges, and then they say, well, we have two people. We have a Palestinian and an Israeli, and the Israeli is, is, bro, is a is a spokesperson for the Palestinian cause, not for offering the real facts about what Israel did. And and that's, again, this distortion and misrepresentation. And the media have to hear from people about it. Take the moment. And most of all now, everybody should write their elected officials, especially their congresspeople, but also city council and others. They ask, where were you? Why didn't you speak up? We need to hear you. You have to stand up for aid to Israel. you got to stop these uh, resolutions of disapproval or conditioning the aid that now we're going to check and we want to know where are you and where do you stand and what statements have you issued. Believe me, they're not hearing from him. Some of them complain to us that all they hear is from the other side. Congresswoman, so take the moment to do it. You can do it even in automated ways. Congresswoman Maliotakis was on the air yesterday and basically said to us, <laughs> you, you realize I'm the only one in New York saying anything that's pro-Israel? Like, nobody... No, that's not true. Okay. I, Richie I, Torres and, I, I get and it. others. I yeah. get it, and you're 100% right. She's but, the only Republican congresswoman from New York who's doing it. All right, but but you get her... I mean, I, I get it was a little bit, you know, <laughs> flamboyant with her words, because obviously she was trying to make a point. But, I mean, th- this is the situation we're in. And, as you've always pointed out, when it comes to the House and the Senate, we've never been in this situation before. Malcolm Holmline will tell any modern Jewish history person who's interested in what's happened over the last 50 years, right? Would you say since the 60s, 70s, that there has never been unwavering support or wavering support uh, for Israel in the House and Senate? You've always been able to count on both of those chambers. And I'm just worried that that's, that's on shaky ground right now. Well, it's diminishing, but it's not. I mean, the overwhelming majority of, of both houses they approved everything, including the uh, the seven hundred and sixty million dollars package, and the administration didn't waver on it and didn't back off. It's it's going through. It will happen. You didn't have this kind of organized opposition. You had individuals always. You had, you know, Fulbright in the 50s, 60s, I guess, uh, who was very hostile and a powerful senator, and there were. Uh, groups of people uh, always in the Senate and the House. The difference is, first of all, you have a whole different media set up today, that you have this, this woke culture, the cancel culture, the 
the um, anti-Israel tied into anti-American and anti-the values that we, we have. Um, all of these things contribute to the overall circumstance that we we find ourselves in. But I do not. We 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 always had uh, problems and discriminatory, let's say, practices at universities, and it got much better. I'm getting calls from people, parents, telling they're scared to have their kids go back to their campuses. Yep, that in right. New York City, that that the petitions against Israel, that demanding the universities speak out against. Um, I guess this has nothing to do with the university or their responsibility. Most university administrations reject it. But this goes way beyond BDS. BDS was a vehicle for them to be able to express yeah. hostility and hatred. And I'm worried what happens and worried when about people co- are back in person. Worried, Remember, still, it's, worried, about co- there. worried about college campuses? I'm worried about people going to, you know, to, to Jewish blocks today to shop for Shabbos. Because uh, who knows, these random acts against Jews because they're wearing a yarmulke or look Jewish or might be a supporter of Israel or have an Israeli flag on their car. You know, that I'm, I'm more worried about that right now. I hear it with the college campuses. But right now we're facing a situation in major cities around the world, like so many European cities had seen already, where if you're identifiably Jewish, even st- standing and shopping in a dominantly Jewish neighborhood, you could be a target. Got to be really careful right now. Uh, first of all, they should be very careful, and people not to be scared and don't give in to this, but be alert and be careful, and we support all the local efforts that uh, work to protect the communities and expand them. <clears throat> but it's not like separate things. These are all part yeah. of the same picture, and when we allow the atmosphere on the campuses to get, and, and it, it expands way beyond the campuses, each one is a, is part of the picture of this puzzle that we we put together, and each component, and they are, are interrelated because a lot of this is stimulated. There must be, there's some incitement, there's some uh, mosque somewhere where where these people are coming from that they all of a sudden decide to drive through the city and believe they can get away with it. Yep. That's to me the astounding thing is that there's no intimidation, and when the police they see the police, they don't drive away, they don't, they beat up people in front of them. And and there there isn't that kind of uh, and there's no fear of, of prosecution and they know that even if they get arrested they'll be out in ten minutes. Yeah. So we, we have it's societal it's it's deeper and Jews are always the bellwether. You remember whether it goes back to Pastor Nymuller's comments or mm-hmm. uh, or everything we know since then that the Jews are always the canary in the mine and, it, and we should not tolerate that. We have to demand that there be that kind of uh, of response. And that the policies that are imposed on police departments or, or uh, <clears throat> you know, the, the climate that they feel that they're operating, we have to show them that we're going to make the same demands and we will take to the streets and we will do what what is necessary to to express ourselves. In, and I understand all the limitations of people because of COVID, because of other things, and, and that if you do a demonstration and we bring out 10,000, they bring out 100, we'll get, they'll get 50% of the coverage and say two, both sides were, you know, outraged right. about it. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, we, need, we need strong efforts, strong leadership. I thank you so much. Uh, we'll speak, have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Fridays, 7.40 a.m., weekly update here at JM and the AM. If you have any information, anybody out there, any information we get about rallies and demonstrations, we are passing on to our listeners. Um, All right. If you have information, let us know. We mentioned earlier that the Livingston uh, 
Essex County community in New Jersey has, I'm going to say spontaneously, I don't know how spontaneous it was, maybe they did take a day or two to work out the details, but this is what we need. We need these type of spontaneous events. 1115 Suburban Tower in Livingston, if you're anywhere near Essex County, New Jersey on Sunday, make sure to be there, show your support for Israel. Um, and all the other rallies that we've been mentioning, uh, make sure to, uh, make sure to attend, be as safe as possible. Take whatever you need with you in order to assure your safety. See if people understand that hint. Um, and uh, within legal parameters, obviously. And, uh, let us continue to defend and proudly um, proudly um, exhibit our Jewish faith and our love of Israel.